Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. The Danny Mac Show with BK Podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac with BK. Thursday edition on a rainy day here in St. Louis of the Danny Mac Show. BK, I'm Dan McLaughlin. Tanner with us. Really looking forward in about 15 minutes coming up. uh, We're going to visit with Keith Hernandez. I cannot wait to hear from Keith Hernandez. For those that listen to me, whether it's on a game or on the station here, you you know where I stand with Keith Hernandez. I I think he should be a Cardinal Hall of Famer. I think he should already be in. And that's no disrespect to the others because I think they should be in too. But this guy needs to be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. So looking forward to coming up and visiting with Keith Hernandez. Good morning to you. Good morning, Dan. I'm just disappointed that Randy Carricker uh-huh. took my thunder. He did the Marilyn Monroe or Monroe edition of Happy Birthday. Well, you you have the four. I uh, thought you, I was going to be able to steal that for you this morning. If you want to do it, Dan, go right ahead. It's just it's disappointing that it's already been done. <laughs> I can't believe that he stole that from me. Um, you know, when it was being done live, it was, um, I don't know, I guess the best way to put it interesting and then to see it being posted on social media and to have to relive it again. Uh, I don't know if I wanted to see it again. No, I, no. I feel like you, we should just have that. We have three television screens lined up in front of us. You know, I, yeah. I think we could at least have one of those playing that on replay. I think Randy got two into character. Oh. Not character, character. Okay. Um, of the Marilyn Monroe part of that, and yeah, what was, was the problem? Which is a little uneasy. It just was. Was it the rubbing of the nipples that got you? Not that part. That no? was fine. Um, it just, you know, it was just a little different. You know, no, he did not rub his nipples. Oh, that didn't happen. Which does lead me to a story. I thought it did. No, it did. I, not. Oh, I was told from somebody behind no, the scenes no, no. that that was a big part of the, no, no, the performance. Did, no, he did not go that far with it, but he oh, was definitely that's disappointing. Honestly, he was very. Maybe emo- I should get this going. All right, now, he, now it's time. I'll <laughs> say this: he was very emotional in this. He was very invested, if you will. Well, you have to be. Takes me back to my first oh televised. Where, where is this story going? <laughs> baseball game. Um, you know, so I'm like 23 years old. Go down to Jupiter. I'm nervous. And Joe Buck, they bring him in the booth with me as the way to kind of bring him in, you know, like, hey, welcome to the family kind of thing. And A.J. Burnett is on the mound uh, for then the Florida Marlins. And so I'm just nervous, man. I'm just like ground ball to second, throw to first. There's the out. It's the first out here in the fifth inning. And let's bring in Joe Buck. And Joe uh, wants to start talking about because he knows I'm really nervous. I mean, think about it. You're going to be pretty nervous. First major league game, right? Yeah. The first thing he wants to talk about are A.J. Burnett's nipple piercings. <laughs> so that's uh, how I got ingratiated into Cardinal baseball. Hello. I feel like that's the best possible way, though. It was perfect. If ever you could get comfortable, it's by talking about another man's nipple rings. It, it was. It, it made it light. It made me relax a little bit. I started laughing, and I said, leave it to you, Joe, to bring up some nipple rings. But here we go. And that's what we did. So we talked a half inning about nipple rings. It was interesting. Wasn't what I was thinking we were going to go down that road, but it was his way to make me relax. Well, you never know what route 
a broadcast could go. That's Just right. like today, when I woke up this morning, I didn't know that as I was listening to Carriker and Smallman, which you should listen to each and every Monday through Friday from 7 to 10 right here on 101 ESPN, I didn't know I was going to hear Randy Carriker singing Happy Birthday to Danny Mac. I didn't think it was singing. I thought it was more serenading. I Performing Happy performing. Birthday. Yeah. That's what I should have said. In character. <laughs> In character. Not character, character. But that was fun. So Randy's the best. In all seriousness, Dan, happy birthday. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Um, If you listened to the fast lane yesterday, speaking of you should never turn the dial, 101 ESPN, great guests like Keith Hernandez coming up, but they had uh, future Hall of Famer in Albert Pujols. Really enjoyed this visit. They covered a ton of stuff. He... I don't know if you listened to it, BK, but yep. he, he sounded so relaxed, didn't he? It was fun hearing him. I think fans really got a kick out of he it. He sounded comfortable. Um, he sounded content. He sounded like he was ready to start reflecting on certain things, which yeah. is always fun. Once you get these guys in a place where they've been, and obviously Albert's been doing this for so long, 20 years now, but when they've been in a place where now they can start looking back on things as opposed to looking forward to where things are going, that's when you really get some of the best stories out of them. So he was asked about retirement. Remember, Didi, his wife, had put out an Instagram post saying, hey, good luck to, I'm paraphrasing, but good luck to Albert in his final season. And then she had to kind of retract it and say, well, no, this is his final season under contract. By no means does that mean uh, that he's going to retire. And he did address that yesterday. When I start feeling that I'm, that I start losing the, the passion and the passion that I have for the gang, I think that's, that would be the time to go. You know, like I don't want to stick just because of money, man, because the last thing that I wanted to do is just disrespecting the game that I, has given me so much just because I want to stay around, you know. Like, as you know me, Brad, you, you play with me. I'm really competitive, and if I feel that I cannot compete anymore uh, with the young talent that's coming up, then it is my time, you know? I mean, my brain might tell me, oh, no, you can go, but your body's telling you a little bit different. I think it's going to be interesting how Joe Madden will use Albert Pujols this season. You know, how much time does he get at DH? How much time does he get at first base? Um, and what those projections might look like. For 21 uh, projections look like 430 at-bats. And this is, you know, if you go on Pakoda, you go on baseball reference. I mean, they all have these different yep. projections. But generally speaking, it talks about 400, so not to 500 at-bats, 430 about 18 homers, 68 runs batted in, 47 extra base hits, a 230 average, uh, which would then take Pujols then below the 300 average mark. He's right at it. He's like 299 something. Um, and then that puts him at what would be the precipice of 700 home runs. And would that motivate him to come back for another year? To me, I still have that fire. I, I still love the game. I mean, just because this is my last year, of my contract, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna I'm gonna be done. I mean, if I feel healthy, if I feel that I can continue to play, I'm gonna play until all 30 ball clubs shut the door. I mean, say no, you too old, you go home, you can't compete anymore. But I feel that that my body, I feel really good. I put a lot of hours uh, into the gym uh, this off season, you know, training hard, um, and I feel really, really good. Uh, you know, this year coming into camp. So there's a few things that would have to happen in my mind for him to come back and play another year number one would be the dh in the national league you got to open up some spots for him he is not going to be one of the premier hitters on the market that's just the way it is not at his age not at his performance two his performance will dictate whether or not teams want him back next year there's got to be 30 clubs that want him back 
he currently sits 31 home runs away from 700. So if he would, let's say, get to 20, now you're 11 away. What is the motivation for him? What's the motivation for a team to say, yeah, that's worth it. Let's get him in to get those 11 home runs. 700 is a massive milestone, and we want that to be done in our uniform. I'm fascinated by it. And the the interesting quote that he said there is, if 30 other teams tell me I'm not good enough, then I walk away. Well, what if 29 do, and it's the Pittsburgh Pirates? Do you do that? I don't know. I don't know if he would do that. I, I just think these are fascinating things to talk about, which is one of the more interesting, great players we've ever seen come through St. Louis. Yeah, and of course, the question locally, and we're already getting it on the text line, 65780, what if the Cardinals could bring him back next year? Dan, I find that to be really interesting because there was once upon a time I would have been part of that chorus, kind of asking, well, maybe you should. Maybe that is the right move. If Nolan Gorman is ready by next season, if you get some positive indicators on Tyler O'Neill being the guy that you thought he was going to be, if Lane Thomas works his way in and you want to see him get more playing time, I don't think it makes sense for Albert Pujols to be no. back with the Cardinals next year because he's not as good of a hitter right now as those guys are. I know that sounds crazy because we think of the Albert that left 10 years ago, but if you just go what he's been over the last four years, he's been a worse hitter in baseball than Harrison Bader. That's problematic if that guy's going to be your designated hitter. He doesn't help you do the winning that you want to do right now. So if you're a franchise that is just looking to pack the stadium and get close to 700 and say, hey, come on down to the ballpark and you have a chance to watch the final days of one of the greatest players that's ever played this game. And he is. He's one of the greatest ever. Um, that's one way to look at it. But if you're saying this is the guy that's going to put us over the top to give us the best chance to win as a designated hitter, he's probably not that guy. But there is the sentimental part of being a Cardinal fan and what he meant to this fan base. And I get that. And yeah. it's, a, it's a logical question. I get that entirely. I totally understand why, if you're a Cardinals fan, you'd be asking, is this somebody they should target? I think, though, when you actually dive into it and you look at where the Cardinals are in their lifespan as a franchise, this would have made a lot more sense five years ago than it does now. Absolutely. If the Cardinals are the team that I think they are, next year they're going to be in a championship window. And when you're in that championship window, you don't make moves like this purely because of sentimentality. If that is a piece of it, I can get behind it. A piece of the Wayne and Yachty signings were sentimentality. They can also help you on the field right now. They make you a better ball club. It's really hard to make that part of the case about Albert. Pujols. I mean, those two guys in this spring training have been two of the best that they've had still. Wayne looks like the best pitcher on the roster right now. Yeah. Or at least starter. Gave up a home run last night to Altuve, but still pitched well. Yachty is throwing the ball as, as well as he was, it looks like, five years ago. Uh -huh. He looks great. So, yeah, there's still pieces that are helping you win right now. Uh, coming up, we're going to visit with Keith Hernandez. And by the way, if you want to hear that Albert Pujols interview, just go to the website, 101 ESPN, the podcast presented by I Promise. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Oh, I've been looking forward to having the chance to visit with my friend Keith Hernandez. And uh, Keith knows where I stand with this. I think most listeners do. I believe he should already be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. He's got my vote again for the Cardinals Hall of Fame. You can vote now through 
Uh, let's see. It is going to end on April 17th. Cardinals.com slash HOF. Steve Carlton, Keith Hernandez, Matty Moe, Edgar Renteria, and Lee Smith. And Keith has been kind enough to join us this morning on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin, Brandon Kiley, and Keith Hernandez. Keith, how you doing? I'm doing great, big guy. How are you? I'm doing well. I miss seeing you. You know, I, I miss not being able to see everybody. We're not going to be able to travel this year again either. Huh? We're going to be doing it for, uh, road games from the wherever. We do it from the ballpark on monitor. I'm sure you're doing about the same thing. Are you in studio or at the stadium? We're in studio. Home games are uh, at the ballpark. I'm assuming you guys are doing that too. Home games at City Field and then road games from the studio. I'm, I'm hoping maybe second half we're able to travel a little bit, but I haven't heard. I'm, I'm not sure about you guys. Um, well, hopefully things will open up. That's for sure. We don't, we do, uh, our road games, uh, from the stadium. Wow. In yeah. our press, in our press booth. So it's better for me because I don't have to drive all the way into downtown, uh, for the studios are downtown in, uh, in Tribeca, way to way downtown battery city, the matter of fact, so to put an extra half hour on my drive. So, you know, driving to the stadium's perfect. Yeah. What have you thought about doing games off the monitor? You okay with that? I haven't got an issue. Um, Gary, uh, our play-by-play guy, Gary Cohen, it's got to be, and you can answer to this. I mean, I'm just the guy that reacts to the play. The play-by-play guy has to call it instantaneously. And you're on a monitor, and it's got to be difficult. It's just really got to be tough on the play-by-play guy. Gary's done a great job, so um, we're very fortunate with that. Well, SNY, you guys did, and, and Ron, and, and you, and, and you know what I think. Gary, I think you guys are the best in the business. It's phenomenal what you do. Keith Hernandez is our guest. And, you know, Keith, I, I, I've i talked to you privately about this. You've, you've talked about it publicly. But I, I want our listeners to hear this. Um, the Cardinals in, in your lifetime, whether you were playing for the Cardinals or growing up out on the West Coast, the St. Louis Cardinals mean an awful lot to you. If you could put it into words and for our listeners, and we got a lot of people to listen to the show, um, what is Cardinal baseball and, and just, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals organization, what does that mean to Keith Hernandez? Well, I grew up a Cardinal fan. I think everybody knows that. Um, I grew up in San Francisco. My uh, father, during World War II, served in Pearl Harbor in a ship repair unit. And Stan came in 45 the last year and uh, played on the um, on the uh, Navy team, on their ship repair team. Uh, it was ship repair something number, had a number designation. And they played on the same team representing the Navy in Pearl Harbor. And uh, uh, th- uh, throughout the war, my dad, Stan, the last year, and uh, they became friendly. And Stan, at a very young age, when Stan was on the way out, you know, in 1960, I'm seven years old, and I'm a year away from playing my first year in organized ball in Little League at eight. So Stan would leave us tickets and um, box seats. Of course, Stan would have the prime seats right behind their dugout on the third base line at Candlestick Park, and we'd get to go in the clubhouse after the game. You know, and it all ended there in 63. After 63, it was Stan's last year, and it was over. But uh, that just cemented me uh, being a Cardinal fan and always loved the uniform. It was a very prideful uniform. I think it's the greatest uniform in baseball. I don't like right now the larger birds on the bat. 
I think they're too big. It's just my taste. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people out there that disagree with me, but I liked in our day when we had the little smaller cardinal on the bat. But that doesn't mean anything. It's still they got the greatest baseball sock in the game. Uh, it's the best uniform. And when I, we wore the powder blues, it was, I felt, uh, the best road uniform. Keith, what was your time like here in St. Louis? And when you look back on that and you're able to reflect now on what that first stint was like for you as a big leaguer here in St. Louis, what was it like to play <laughs> for the team that you grew up rooting for? Well, it was, you know, a dream. You know, everybody dreams. The kid that, that wants to play this game, they want to get to the major leagues. And you don't, you know, you don't think about um, – what team you're going to play on, you can dream about what team you would love to play for. I mean, I always would love to play for the Cardinals and uh, then to get drafted by them. And then there's the doubt, okay, am I good enough? Am I going to make it to the big leagues? And uh, fortunately I did. And then I struggled um, early in my career, very much so. Didn't know if I was going to make it or not. And I really think, um, you know, having been traded to the Mets and then playing in New York as a veteran, you know, just turning 30 and totally confident in my abilities. So able to make the transition to a very, very um, demanding fan base, very much unlike uh, St. Louis fans. Um, and they root Mets root for their, for their, their, for their Mets fans root for their Mets, just like they root the Cardinals root for their Cardinals, uh, Cardinal fans root for their Cardinals. But there's a little more, uh, pressure as far as producing. And I was able to watch, you know, Daryl Strawberry come up, Dwight Gooden, um, a lot of the guys that were holdovers that came back on the really down years when they, after they traded Seaver, when the Mets were a last place team in the late 80s, the 70s and early 80s. Um, it's a little bit tougher, but when I, if I would have broken in New York, I may not have made it. Mm. You know, they, the fans may have broke me. And uh, Cardinal fans were always um, supportive. I came up with a lot of fanfare. They traded Joe Torre. I was the heir apparent. And um, it just didn't happen for me until the uh, second half of 76. And then my breakout year really was 77, uh, full my first really good full season. But the Cardinal fans were always pulling for us. We weren't great teams. You know, Gibson and Blue were getting old older and there was a transition going on and um i didn't realize that we lost what 91 games and when red got fired in 76 we lost 91 games and that was the first time a cardinal team lost 90 games since like 1915 or something like that i had no idea I uh, I loved your book. I'm Keith Hernandez, and for people that are curious about the book, a lot of it is with the Cardinal history. So at this time of year, I think about spring training. I crack up, Keith, and uh, you probably don't reflect and crack up on what you went through with the sandwiches and the soup and how they did spring training back then and there. But they they knew that you were a special talent. So at least the Cardinals had an eye for talent, and they knew that you had a shot. So take us back to spring training, you know, this time many, many years ago and growing up in the Cardinals system. Uh, well, it was a tough clubhouse. Uh, when I got invited to camp when I was 19, I believe, or maybe 20, and I was given number 57, and I was perfectly happy to have number 57. You know, and the two leaders of the team were 
Gibson, of course, and Brock. And it was, you know, good cop, bad cop. And, um, you know, it was a tough clubhouse. It was a veteran clubhouse. You had Rick Wise, Ted Sizemore, Herbowski, a lot of veterans, Reggie Smith. Um, and I was, I felt like I just, I felt like a little kid on the block uh, that would get gets kicked around. I, I just felt like I was playing with a bunch of big, tall oak trees, and I was just a little sapling. And it wasn't a very uh, warm clubhouse. It was, a, okay, here you are. You're supposed to be able to play. Go out and play. Show us. And, um, you know, Lou was great for me. We all know that. Ted Sizemore was wonderful to me. And I uh, still have a great friendship with Ted. But um, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, uh, it was more self-help. Mm-hmm. You had to do it. You had to do it yourself. And I think that's just a generational thing. And uh, uh, Gibson, of course, was the most dom- dominant, uh, intimidating player that I've ever played with or against. And then probably number two would be Ted Simmons. Ted Simmons was uh, not um, of a, but a bullion personality. Ted would, would could be by himself and uh, be very serious. And I didn't know which way to take Ted back then. <laughs> you know, and then I look back, and I, at my I, I'm 20 years old in the big leagues, and Ted Simmons was just five years older than me. Right. And I felt like I felt like Ted Simmons was. 10 years older than me. Yeah. You know, and, and I felt like everybody, and I have Lou and Gibby, like, Jesus, I felt like they were they were 20 years older than me. They could have been my uncle. So that's how I kind of felt. I had to overcome that. I had to, you know, we collect baseball cards, and all of a sudden you're lockering next to these guys that you grew up admiring and uh, idolizing, and then, then getting up at the plate against a guy like Seaver or Carlton. Don Sutton, you have to overcome that and uh, realize that you're a peer. And for some guys, it comes quickly. Ted was an instant success. Um, and uh, for me, it just took me a while to get my feet wet. I'm so happy that, that Ted got the fame. Now we're seeing, and he, he, he credits analytics, whether we like him or not. And it's hard to watch the game today because of a lot of analytics, the entertainment factor of it. But analytics helps him get into the game. Scott Rowland and his defense, people are taking a hard look at that here in St. Louis. And now it looks like his trend is to go to the Hall of Fame. I brought this up with you, Ted, and not just with, the, or with uh, Keith, with the Cardinals Hall of Fame, but with Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. You're you're right there. Do you think that you will start to get a harder look because of your defense for Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame? Well, I think that a lot of it is a lot of more emphasis and analytics too in uh, on base percentage OPS. Yeah, and uh, certainly my on base percentage is right up there, and that's a help. Analytics loves on base percentage. Your on base and percentage course, in St. Louis is three eighty five. It's like top, I think five, I think in yeah, uh, Cardinals history. Right. I wound up with 386 for my entire career. And if you take away those horrible years I had, it might have been, it would have been in the 390s, close to 400. But um, anyway, uh, I don't know. Um, I'm not going to hold my breath on it. I'm glad that Ted got in. I didn't realize where Ted's numbers, to me, analytics is great. There's a lot of things you can glean from analytics that are helpful. Then there are a lot of things that are just, I, I think, are superfluous and uh, not needed, but I'm old, kind of the old school. You look at Ted Simmons' RBIs, 
uh, his production, the home runs, and you match him up. I read an article where they matched him up with Joe Gibera, all the great catchers. Ted's right there. Yeah. He's right there. So he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I was stunned because I didn't read. I knew he had a large amount of RBI. And to me, that's important when you're in a position that is supposed to be a production, uh, a productive uh, position on the diamond. And particularly back in our day. So catchers was one of them. And, and Ted is right there. And he's, it's just a shame he couldn't be inducted into the Hall of Fame because of last year. And hopefully things will be opened up when they have the ceremonies this year and he can really bask in glory and has been very, very much deserved to really have a, a normal induction with people around and uh, just really bask in his success. Keith Hernandez is our guest here on 101 ESPN is up for the Cardinals Hall of Fame this year. And Keith, one thing that I did want to ask you about is looking back on your Cardinals career and the way the things ended here in St. Louis. I am curious as you reflect now and we've got the benefit of, you know, almost 40 years from the time when that ended for you here in St. Louis and you were traded out to New York. What do you remember about that time period? Um, What do you think? went wrong there at the end here in St. Louis? And, and how do you remember that time? Well, what do you think went wrong? What kind of question is that? I mean, come on. I mean, I made the greatest mistake in my life. I mean, I heard a lot of people. So, um, but it's something that you can move on from and learn. Um, I really honestly feel looking back, I was another year and my last year in my contract was coming up. And they gave me a five-year deal uh, for $3.8 million back in uh, 19, after the 79 MVP year. And um, I don't think that they were going to want, Augie Bush was going to want to pay me, you know, what I got in New York, which was, um, I got $8.5 million, something like that, over five years. So both times I signed, I became the second highest paid paid player in baseball uh, on a five-year contract. And um, I just don't think that the Cardinals were going to, number one, uh, pay me uh, that with Augie Bush as as the uh, owner. And I gave them the perfect out to get to trade me. I mean, and, uh, you know, they didn't – the trade turned out to be horrific – so um didn't work out for the Cardinals, worked out pretty good for the Mets. I still look back and, uh, you know, think and wish I could have been one of those guys that would have played most of my career or all of my career in St. Louis. But I don't think, you know, when Whitey was in the helm, Whitey didn't stick with people. He made, he made moves, and the Cardinals always had a great farm system. They always had a new generation coming up. Behind me was Andy Vince, like, and uh, it turned out to be a pretty hell of a good player. And um, I think that it made me um, expendable. I know that they moved uh, George to first base, and George hated it. Hendrick uh, eventually got Jack Clark, and he had the one great year for them, and then had injuries. Uh, but I think uh, they always have the talent, and there's always people behind you. Um, you know, what turned out to me when I got traded to the Mets for last, the last place Mets, I thought it was going to be, geez, old Pizzo, oh, gosh, 
but it turned out to be fine. It worked out great for me, and um, I have re- I just I wish that I could have played my entire career in St. Louis, but I had no I had no choice in the matter. Yeah, and it worked out very well for Keith Hernandez. Um, I thought one of the great nights, Keith, that we had together was when we were supposed to do our evening with the Cardinals and Lou Brock was going to be with us and Lou had, had fallen sick and we didn't know if he was going to show up. And I, I'm sure you remember this. And Lou yeah. wanted to surprise everybody and he comes to the event. If that doesn't yeah. sum up the toughness of Lou Brock and the kind of person he is, I, I'm not sure what does. I, I just It sticks out in my mind so much, Keith. And I know you had a very, very special relationship with him. Unfortunately, Lou has passed. Um, can you tell our fans what, what Lou Brock meant to you? Well, Lou was just a special guy. Um, he was a guy that cared about other people. He not only uh, cared about me, uh, he cared about – he just didn't devote his attentions to me. I mean, he uh, he was the same way with everybody. I have a fond memory of – and I really think the Cardinals did this on purpose. We, I, when I was 18 years old, out to first year of an A-ball in uh, St. Pete, I went to Instructional League, and we had a lot of good talent down there. And uh, George Kissel and Tom Burgess were running the club, and – Lou came down for two weeks and came to the ballpark every day. And I really think, I mean, the first day he got there, I'm out in the outfield and here comes shagging and uh, here comes Lou Brock walking out of the outlaying field, the third base dugout, first base dugout, and he's walking out towards me in right center field. I'm going, is he coming to walk and walking to me? And sure enough, he came directly to me and we chatted and, um, I think I think he was sent down to to feel me out and uh, to give me inst- uh, instruction, and uh, I was all ears. I listened and I learned an awful lot from him. He's just that kind of guy. I really miss him. I, I do too, and it's going to be different without him and Bob uh, opening day here. I, I'll wrap it up with this, Keith, and really appreciate your time. You know how much I uh, I think of you, and I, I want to see you get in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. Um, what would it mean to Keith Hernandez to wear that red jacket? And obviously you had great years with the Mets. You won a World Series. You're doing their games. But as we've talked about here, so much of your career is Cardinal baseball. So what would that mean, that red jacket for Keith Hernandez? Well, my gosh, look at the St. Louis is right there with the Yankees in tradition. I mean, more so, I think, than the Dodgers. Uh, the Dodgers, I think, are, are second to to the, to the Cardinals. Um, there's so much tradition going back of St. Louis, back to John Bottomley, Rogers Hornsby, Joe Medwick, Dizzy Dean. I mean, you can go back forever. And um, there's a lot of great players that have been in that organization for over a hundred years and uh to be a part of that would just be a tremendous honor uh and would be really i mean the little kid growing up in pacifica california wanting to play major league baseball in little league boy that would be a very wonderful thing be awesome i i can't wait to see it i think it's going to happen this year and Again, as I said before, you know what I think of you. I think the world of you and, and consider you a great friend. And, and thanks for doing this, Keith. Appreciate your time and stay safe. Are you doing the games down in Florida? Are you guys at the stadium there? Uh, yeah, I've got two more. I've got tomorrow and then Tuesday. And then we've got, you know, uh, because of each state is different with quarantine. Right. I've got to go up a week early because I've got to quarantine evidently uh, for four days. 
Okay. Once I land and then get a COVID test as, as well. So there's two more games after that that I was scheduled, but they took us off and want us up there and make sure that we do all the protocol and so we can get in the ballpark on opening day. It's unbelievable. But we got baseball, which is the good thing. So, hey. yeah, I, I agree 100% a full season. And I think it's going to be a full season. I think it's going to get better. I think they're going to open up the stadiums more and more as the year progresses. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thanks for doing this, Keith. And uh, we'll catch up down the road. Hopefully I'll see you soon. You got it, buddy. That is Keith Hernandez, who is on the uh, Cardinals Hall of Fame. And again, cardinals.com slash HOF. And it's Carlton Hernandez, Matt Morris, Edgar Renteria, and uh, Lee Smith on the ballot. And one of the great Cardinals ever, uh, 1983, was his final season in St. Louis, which was after the 82 World Series. Came up in 74. He was a co-MVP. And you started looking at the numbers, um, it just the guy just was an incredible hitter here over 1200 hits 385 on base percentage and really appreciate Keith Hernandez in his time here on 101 ESPN we'll be back with more in just a moment this is the Danny Mac show with BK the podcast powered by I promise It was interesting on the morning show today with uh, the weekly visit with Graham, uh, Greg Amsinger and I was asking him about an article by his colleague, Tom Verducci, came out, and the numbers are kind of staggering when you talk about pace of play in Major League Baseball. By the way, thanks to Keith Hernandez for popping on, and again, vote at cardinals.com slash HOF. Here are some of the numbers, BK. 2011, fans waited on average three minutes, 18 seconds to see a ball put in play. Last year, the wait was four minutes. From 2012 to 2020, starters' average workload dropped from 5.9 innings to 4.8, 95 pitches to 90. In 2009, only 4% of qualified pitchers took 25 seconds or more between pitches. Ten years later, 43%. 43%. Last season, set per game records for the highest strikeout rate for 15 straight years, about 24%. Also set per game records for most pitches, nearly nine, most hit batters, fewest sacrifices, length of nine inning games is three hours and seven minutes. Batting average last season was 245, stolen bases the past two seasons sunk to their lowest rates since 1972. Brian Price is a former pitching coach and manager in the game of baseball. He's now retired. He was a part of your show and talked about uh, what we're watching. What is this game that we're seeing? I will tell you... um that I, I just don't enjoy watching the game to the same degree. I, I like seeing starting pitchers pitch deep in the games. I like to see more traditional set lineups instead of all this platoon stuff. And I hate seeing the bullpen usage to the degree that it is and the sloppiness of the guys that come out of the bullpen as far as their overall pitch command uh, and this uh, focus on, on velocity over pitchability. It's not as watchable for me. So um, I hope we start to see some trending in the direction of valuing putting the ball in play and throwing strikes. I think the game will speed up, and I think a lot more people want to watch it. Yeah, I agree. We need to have action in the game. So limit shifts, make the bags bigger, time with the mound. Um, you know, they, they talk about this, that in five years, are we going to see young kids go away from the game? Is it that much of an issue? To the point that in the article, they said they had three Zoom calls um, 
with owners talking about how we have to improve pace of play because at the end of the day this is about entertainment entertainment means people watching people going to the ballpark so it's very important to think about some of these changes moving forward yeah and one of the things that i found interesting from the article was how they talked about with david price for instance he's one of the guys that takes his time as a pitcher he's not going to um shift for the hitters so he's going to be a guy that he's taking in all of the information that he has in his scouting report it takes some time to be able to divulge all of that information and then he implements that into whatever the next pitch is going to be and this is part of the issue while i'm in favor of some of the numbers that are being used right now it sometimes slows the game down so much to the point where people are thinking more than they're playing and when you're at the plate or when you're pitching just play the game and so now you've got a slow game that there is less action because the ball is almost never put in play and there has to be something that's done about it dan so as we talked about too brian price with the perspective of not only being a manager but also a pitching coach highly respected pitching coach and he talked about how coaching has even changed too hugely i mean i think if you just go back and you look my 20 my first year in the big leagues as a full-time staff member was 2000 the manager drove the, the bus he, he made a lot of the final decisions when it came to roster he went to the gm when he needed to make a roster move to get somebody in there there might be a particular player he wanted to see from the minor leagues that was performing well and so much went through the manager's office and now i think first stop is front office as opposed to knowing that the starter came out after five beautiful innings simply because there's an organizational front office driven stance that the probabilities are the guy's not going to be very good next inning and you never get to see if he or give him the chance to go out there and pitch and maybe throw a really nice ball game that you never forget. Eye test, are we seeing that? Um, I go back to to uh, something I heard with Buster Olney the other day, and he said, you know, the days of seeing the marquee matchup. So when you're watching Flaherty and Scherzer go head-to-head, but yet the analytics tell you take Jack Flaherty out after, let's say, the fifth or the sixth inning, and that guy is not there in the seventh or the eighth, even though he might be cruising. I'm just using those two as an example. I'm not saying the Cardinals would do this. I'm just taking two premier pitchers that you would say, I'd buy a ticket to watch those guys pitch. Again, it's entertainment, and again, it's the eye test, and if they're pitching well, keep them in the game. You're not seeing that in today's game. We just saw it in the World Series. Like, Blake Snell was dealing, he was cruising, and he got taken out because the numbers told him, the manager, this is what we do. This is how we got here. This is how we win, and he followed those numbers. They did not win as a result of that in part. And so you look at it, and this is the problem that I see, Dan. What's the incentive for managers who are trying to win in that given day and they are told and they are hit over the head with all of this information hey the best way for you to win is by taking this guy out the third time through the order it's just not good for him how do you incentivize teams to keep those pitchers in i don't know that we can do that there are things that we can do to help some of the action stay in the game i think the days of pitchers starting pitchers staying in for seven innings consistently i don't know that we're getting back to that i gotta wonder in the next cba If they're talking about it with the owners right now and it's getting impressed upon them that this needs to change, you know, we're we're talking in this offseason, they were doing this. One club executive said, quote, if we don't make changes, 
I'm worried about baseball as an entertainment business. We have great athletes. The game doesn't show it. One league executive said, quote, it's the greatest crisis in the game that it faces right now. And the next five years will either be the national pastime or a niche sport. Scott Boris weighed in, quote, there is definitely a disconnect in the game. We have to get rid of the idea that it's about possibilities because that was never about the fan, was never about the strategies of the game that are the most relevant to what we're looking for as the most appealing game. I, I, I think the CBA, besides the money aspect of how we change service time, maybe free agency, those kind of things, we may be looking at a different game when we come out of this. I think really, we need to be. Yeah, I, I think there's some things that have to be instituted to make this game better because it's not good just seeing no ball in play. I mean, in that article by Verducci, it's on SI.com. He talked about game six and the lack of how much the ball was actually in play. And this is your premier event. This is the World Series. The season's on the line. It's winner take all for the Dodgers if they win it. And the ball wasn't in play. Can't have that. It's not a good thing. And sometimes that's a that's a result of really good pitching, right? Like you're going to have a lot of strikeouts. That, that happens. Guys are throwing... 100 miles an hour consistently now and so the and they're doing so with movement it's not just a straight line 100 mile an hour pitch right down the middle it's it's movement on it as well so you're gonna have the strikeouts but you also want to at some point be able to put the ball in play you want to see the athleticism from guys like colton wong or fernando tatis jr mookie Betts making an unbelievable play out in the outfield it's not just the hitting that we want to see it's also the incredible defense that we've lost some there's a reason why web gyms used to be a a highlight montage on sports center like that used to be a significant part of the game and now it feels like we're losing that too often because there aren't as many balls that are put in play all right uh, hey tomorrow uh, tomorrow tanner we got somebody pretty good coming up don't we yes we've got john sunvolt i remember yeah, correctly sunny coming up talking mizzou hoops so we'll, we'll get more into the bracket hey, tomorrow don't Look talk at- about bk's lack of faith in mizzou beating gonzag that's all right <laughs> He's not the only one. What's coming up on your show? Looking forward to it, Dan. So we've got Joey Vitale coming up at 1230. Neil Greenberg's going to join the show. He does great work over at the Washington Post. He wrote about some of the upsets we could be seeing in the first weekend of the tournament. That's coming up at 130. We will kick things off with whatever that was that we watched last night with the Blue. You've been listening to the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Peloton, let's go. This holiday... With the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.